Well, good morning. Um, it really is always an honor to have an opportunity um, to speak, to share some things that are on my heart. Um, I'm always really humbled and really grateful and also really nervous. I feel like it just makes us all feel better if I just say that out loud so you know where I am. Um, I told my husband last night, I was like, it's kind of like that feeling in the roller coaster, like right when you're about to go down that hill and you can't get off. Um, that's the feeling in my stomach. Um, so now you know where I am, but I really, really am so honored. I'm so grateful for the opportunity to speak. Um, whenever I have the opportunity to share, I really do just um, go before the Lord and ask what it is that he wants me to share in the time that I have. And then nine times out of 10, I ask for a different option. Um, I shared last time I spoke a few months ago, I talked about my personal journey with doubt and I shared on that Sunday that I really tried to get out of that option as well. Um, but months later, the conversations that I've been able to have with people because of that, um, really has made it so worth it for me, and it's been such a good reminder that um, it's not my job this morning to give some perfect talk. It's not um, my job to talk maybe on the most relevant thing, but really just to share with you something that's on my heart. Um, it's always easier to share things kind of the farther back in your past they are, and um, this one is just a few weeks out, so it's very new, and it's something that I very much am still discovering and learning, even this weekend. Like, as I'm prepping for this, I'm bumping into this within my own heart, and so this is something very much that I still am journeying through and learning and, and starting to see in myself. Um, but I just wanna share with you this morning where I am and what that is. Um, I think this particular um, content really just kept coming back to my mind because it seemed like everywhere I looked, I was so clearly reminded that we live in a world that teaches us to build platforms. Um, I just felt like everywhere I was looking, I saw this, I was reminded of this. I think it's part of our human nature. It's always been that way to build something that we can stand on. Um, and oftentimes it's standing on ourselves, whether it's our opinion or our belief or our stance. It's just something that we can stand firm on. And while I think it's always been a part of who we are um, as people, I think that because of social media, um, this is even more a part of our culture now. Um, whether or not you are on social media all the time, you know it like the back of your hand, maybe it's part of your job or you use it in your job, or you have never spent a day on social media in your life. Um, I think all of us can recognize that it changes the way that we interact with each other. It's changed the way that the world interacts with each other. And the reality is, is that any one of us today, honestly, like today, while you're sitting here, you could create your own platform if you wanted to very easily. And you could do that across multiple platforms. Um, it doesn't really matter your age or your background or your experience or your education. Uh, we all have an opportunity on social media to create a platform for ourselves. And there really aren't that many rules when it comes to this, if you think about it. We can tell the truth from those platforms. We can tell lies. Um, we can be ourselves or we can create entire different fake identities if we wanted to. We can spread hope. We can spread hate. We can spread kindness. We can spread judgment. 
Um, we, there really aren't any rules as to what that looks like, and there are continually always new platforms being added. Um, I don't know if you remember, there used to kind of only be one. Maybe some of you remember MySpace. I vaguely remember that. Um, like in my memory, I would have been like, I bet like 12 people were probably on MySpace. That would have been my guess. Maybe not 12, but like 112 would be like an educated guess. So I actually looked when I was getting ready for this. Who knew there was over 100 million users at the peak of MySpace? I did not know that. Now you do. Um, but then along came Facebook, kind of changed the game altogether. Then Instagram came into the scene, and then we had things like tweeting who would have thought that is something adults do and not just birds, right? But that became like a way that adults actually interact with each other. And then Pinterest, Snapchat, TikTok, um, it feels like every month faster than we can keep up, faster than I can keep up, some form of social media platform is being added. But they all look a little different, but they're created for the same purpose. And it's to give us a platform to promote something. And honestly, that something is ourselves most of the time. Whether it's what we make for dinner, whether it's our kids, our job, a DIY project, a new dance, a status, a belief, a political stance, every way you look at it, they're all platforms for our own promotion. And as we promote ourselves, we watch other people doing the same thing. We get sad if her platform is bigger. We get mad if his platform is promoting a stance that we don't like. We get hurt if their platform makes ours look bad. We get mad if their Pinterest craft or their DIY project looks way better than ours. We feel bad if they post a family photo that is all put together and we look at our kids and they're just a mess. We get sad or frustrated if he posts a new promotion or a job title and we've been stuck in the same job for years. And so we live in a cycle of comparison and anger and climbing and striving and constantly trying to keep up and make our platform higher. And so we shout a little louder so that people will listen. And maybe we throw something or we push someone else's platform down so that we can get some attention. And all of this happens while we raise our kids and we do our jobs and we make decisions and we navigate life. The world is constantly shouting at us from its platform, and so we feel the need to shout back. And it is at any shock that research shows that the emotion that goes viral the fastest is anger, with all the shouting and all the building and all the comparison. I think it's impacting every single aspect of our lives. And the more that I thought about this and the more that I just kind of looked around and saw and watched this happening, I continue to have one thought repeat over and over in my mind over these past few months. I think that this has a lot to do with why the world doesn't really like those who call themselves Christ followers. I want to say this next part, um, I'm going to say it pretty bluntly, pretty directly, but I think that one of the reasons that some Christians are a turnoff to the world is because sometimes People use Jesus as a platform. They use him as a stepping stool to build a platform for themselves. I think we see believers doing this, whether it's on social media, whether it's on a public stage or within a church. They use Jesus to build a platform. When it's convenient, they pull him up on their platform and they use his words to shame others. They use his teachings to tell people how to live and they quote the verse and they point to Jesus while shouting from their platform. 
Hasn't our world highlighted this over the past two years? People shouting from their platforms their opinions about everything, masks and mandates and vaccines, using scripture on both sides to defend their shouting, shaming anyone who disagrees with the words that they're shouting, unfriending anyone who disagrees, not just on Facebook, but in real life, pulling Jesus onto their platform to make a point and to justify their words, and then taking those words, love your neighbor, to be whatever best makes their point. People on both sides shouting Jesus's words through a megaphone of shame. And it's easy to think that this is a 2020 thing, that 2020 broke humanity and changed everything, but unfortunately it was broken from the very beginning. And while this season has highlighted the shouting and given everyone a literal platform to stand on, it's not so different from the people who walked around this world when Jesus walked, we could see the religious leaders who got to see Jesus and they would take their literal platform sometimes, little boxes made of wood, and they would go into the city, into the streets, and step up on their platform and shout words of shame at people and tell them how to live. And it doesn't feel quite so different from the world we live in today. And in all the pointing and shouting and quoting the scripture, it seems that some people point to Jesus's words while forgetting the context in which he spoke them. And forgetting the context for how Jesus walked the words and lived the words and taught the words. And this is where as I look around at the world, I can get real fired up. And I can easily think to myself, as I look at people on their big public platforms, I can't believe they said that. I can't believe they did that. I can't believe they shouted that. I can't believe they posted that. I would never do that. I would never say that. I would never shout my opinion from a public platform like that. And this is where um, it got personal for me recently. And I began to see that there was a different yet equally powerful platform in my life I learned this um, the hard way a few weeks ago one morning. I hit send on a Facebook message, um, and I sent it to the wrong person. And it wasn't the worst thing that could have happened, but my response was very snarky. And I meant to send it to someone else, and I accidentally sent it to them. And I want to tell you this part just so you can kind of feel the weight of what I felt in that moment. Um, I was responding to this person from Rock Point's Facebook page. So it makes me sweat just telling you like what I felt in that moment and I cannot go into the internet and take it back. And I knew I needed to apologize as Rock Point, but I'm like, thank goodness I'll never know it was me. Thank goodness. And I was so angry in that moment. I was angry at the situation. I was angry that Facebook had changed the color of its background and made it look like my text screen, and so I accidentally sent it to the wrong person. I was mad at 2020. I felt surely, we can blame everything on COVID, so surely I can blame this on that. And as I apologized as Rock Point, I felt the Lord whisper something to my heart. And it it was in the way that only he can do that's so full of truth and yet so full of grace at the same time. 
but I felt like this is what he said to me, that response that you were gonna send, that public one that you wished you had sent, it was kind and it was saying the right thing. But Amber, what was going on inside of your heart in that moment? And with those words, I realized there was a bigger issue at play within my own heart. And I realized a couple of things. The first one being I needed to reach out to that person. I didn't know them, but I needed to tell them it was me. I didn't need to hide behind the screen of Rock Point. I needed to apologize and own it. And the grace that I received from that person was so kind. He didn't have to respond that way, but he did. But that situation had exposed a bigger problem. It had exposed my heart. And I began to see in that moment that maybe the platform that impacts us the most is not one that's in the public or on a stage or on social media. Maybe the platform that impacts us the most is the one found in our hearts. And maybe I wasn't shouting my opinions from a platform, but what was happening inside of my heart? What was the internal dialogue playing? I guess I should have seen the warning signs of something being in my heart kind of stirring long before this Facebook message mistake. Um, a few months ago, I told my husband, I was dead serious, and I said, I think I need to make rage videos and put them online. And I was like, but I think I'm gonna have to quit my job before I do that because I have a lot to say. And so I told him that, I didn't make rage videos and post them all over the internet. I didn't quit my job. I just shoved all that down inside of my heart and moved on. I just took everything that I was wanting to say out loud and I just shoved it down. And my Facebook message, as small as it might seem, was an overflow of that shoving. And I think what was happening in my heart um, it can best be si uh, summed up in a sign. Um, in 2020, there was a Japanese amusement park who was trying to stay open during the height of COVID, but also wanted to like contain the spread of germs as much as they could. And so I wanna show you the sign that they put up at their theme parks. This is what it said. It says, please scream inside your heart. I read that in 2020 and I thought it was hysterical. I still do. Um, but then I started to personalize this and I started to think, oh no, I've been screaming inside of my heart for a couple years now and I think I'm starting to see the impact of it. Maybe you can relate a little bit to this. Granted, it's great if we aren't publicly shaming and shouting and yelling because there is enough of that going on in our world, but what if our inner thoughts were shared out loud? for people to hear. Have you had a conversation with someone where maybe the words you were saying out loud, they were the right words, they were the kind words, they were the nice words, but inside you're screaming in your heart at them for what they believe, for the choices they've made, for how they're acting, because they don't see things the way that you do. Maybe you've done this with someone on social media, maybe you've done this with someone in your own home, with a spouse or a child, maybe somebody you've worked with, um, I have to all of those above because usually I feel like I'm the one who sees things the right way. And so I try to respond in the right way out loud all the while I'm screaming at them in my heart. And I'm trying to just continue on. 
but we can only keep the screaming inside of our hearts for so long. Eventually, it will come out. We can read this on the pages of scripture. Jesus says these words in Matthew 12, 34. He says, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And you know who he said those words to? He said them to the religious leaders who thought they were always right. I'm pretty convinced that I'm right most of the time, too. King Solomon, who wrote the book of Proverbs, which was a book on wisdom, he wrote about this as well. He said this, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. These verses, they don't say, make sure and say the right thing out loud. Shove the rest down in your heart and all will be well. They say the exact opposite. And this call to guard our hearts, could it be something that we often overlook, but it is so important? Could it be that all of the screaming inside of our hearts is impacting us? It's doing something to our hearts. It became clear to me that this is what was going on in my heart especially as I bumped into this verse in Ezekiel uh, not long after my little Facebook message mishap. This is what Ezekiel 36, 26 says. I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I've read this verse before, and honestly, I usually read it pretty quickly and keep moving. I think to myself, I don't have a hard heart. I love Jesus, my heart's not hard. That verse is talking to people who have hard hearts towards Jesus. They don't love him, they don't wanna follow him. This verse isn't talking to me. But this time as I read it and reread it, I started thinking about all the screaming inside of my heart that takes place and how even though I might be saying the right thing out loud, my heart inside is furious. But still I think, I don't have a heart of stone. That seems very dramatic. I just have this platform of being right. And yeah, it's solid, it's unbending, it's strong enough for me to stand on. It doesn't leave room for grace or pretty much anything other than my opinion. So yeah, I guess it is a lot like stone. But I don't say things publicly, I just stand firm on things inside of my heart. I think I have a heart of stone. And I think that I had been so frustrated with humanity for shouting from their public platforms that I had been screaming back at them from my heart of stone platform. And the truth is, is while carrying around a hard heart isn't fun, it is comfortable. Sometimes I intentionally wanna live with my hard heart. I wanna feel justified to feel the way I do because I think I'm right and they're wrong. Sometimes it deflects things off of me and it allows me to focus on the other person. And it's heavy and hard, but it fits comfortably. And I can convince myself it's not really that big of a deal. Life is hard and so it makes sense that my heart would be hard as well. But even if it's not comfortable, it is heavy. It's not light work. And I started to think I often find myself saying, my heart is heavy. I say that a lot. And I think sometimes I say it because this world is hard and broken and there's so much heartache. And so it makes my heart feel heavy. But sometimes I wonder if it feels heavy because of all of the anger and the frustration and the confusion 
that I'm carrying around and it's forming a hard heart. No wonder I feel heavy hearted with a heart of stone. This verse in Ezekiel that we just read, it directly acknowledges our hard hearts. It says, I'll remove from you your heart of stone. As much as I wanna try and deny it and say it's not true, it's stated pretty clearly here, it's part of humanity. But when we read that verse, there isn't shame in this verse. It doesn't tell us to get it together and make our hearts better. And this verse isn't a self-help verse. It's not a pick yourself up by your bootstraps, you can do anything you put your mind to, kind of inspirational poster verse. It doesn't tell us to try harder and be better and stop screaming inside of our hearts. It acknowledges the truth about our hearts. They are stone. But it also tells us that we don't have to drag our heart of stone around with us. There is hope. And as we look to the hope that this verse speaks of, I wanna read to you words that were written over almost 160 years ago. I don't know about you, there's something about words that were written to a different generation. When we read them, they feel like they're written to us. And I just love reading words that were written a long time ago, a reminder that we aren't the first generation to have hard hearts. We aren't the first generation to scream inside of our hearts from our platforms of stone. So I wanna read to you words that were um, spoken by Charles Spurgeon on May 25th of 1862. This is what he said. Why is the heart of man compared to a stone at all? A stone is dead. You can find no feeling in it. Talk to it. It will shed no tears of pity, though you recount to it the saddest tale. No smile will gladden it, though you tell it the most happy story. There is no consciousness in it. Prick it and it will not bleed. Stab it and it cannot die, for it is dead. You may hammer it as you will, but you will make no impression upon it. It cannot be cut, it cannot be broken, it cannot be moved. Man's heart is like a stone because it's not easily softened. And further, there's another danger. Hearts that are not softened grow harder and harder. Dear friend, you cannot change your own heart. Your outward works will not change it. You may attend to all the moralities in the world, but these won't change your heart. Polish your shilling, but it will not change into gold. Nor will your heart alter its own nature. What then is to be done? Christ is the great heart changer. And we see in his words that there is the hope. God knows about my heart and he knows about yours. He knows that I can't do anything to fix it. He knows that you can't either. He knows if left to our own devices, we'll stand on our stone platform hearts and scream, either out loud or inside. I think the best that we can do is simply to polish our heart of stone. That would be the only thing that we have to offer. We could polish it or paint it to try and disguise it, but at the end of the day, it still would be stone. It makes me think about a craft that my daughter did when she was around five years old. She had two um, flat gray rocks, and she took a whole lot of pink and purple paint, and she painted those rocks, and she painted a butterfly on one rock, and she painted um, a rainbow on the other. And they looked prettier than they did before. And when she gave them to me, I loved them because she had made them. But at the end of the day, my daughter still handed me a set of gray rocks. 
And it's like that with our heart. The pink paint didn't change the fact that it was still a stone. And we can't paint our hearts and pretty them up and put on a kind face towards one another and try to say the right words and act the right way because behind it all is still a heart of stone. But the good news, while we can't cover it up and we can't replace it, Jesus can. And he isn't in the business of polishing our stone hearts so that they look better on the outside. He doesn't whip out his best paint and paint a masterpiece on our hearts of stone. He doesn't want them to have a new appearance and be shiny but still remain hard. I'm sure he could paint a masterpiece that would make our stone hearts look amazing. But he's in the business of taking our heart of stone out altogether and replacing it. And replacing it with something we could never do on our own. Replacing it with a soft heart. A heart of flesh that is soft and compassionate and recognizes its need for a savior. It says, I'll give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I love the wording at the end phrase of the message translation of this verse in Ezekiel. It says, I'll remove the stone heart from your body and replace it with a heart that's God-willed, not self-willed. He replaces our self-willed heart with a heart that is God-willed. We can't do that on our own. The New Living Translation of this same verse says, I'll take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. He replaces our stony, stubborn hearts that Spurgeon describes that even when we beat them with a hammer, they cannot be softened, that don't move or bend or respond. And instead, he gives us a tender, responsive heart. But how? How is a heart exchange like this possible? It actually involves a platform. There was only one time when Jesus elevated himself above people, and that was on the cross. In order to replace our heart of stone platforms that we stand on, Jesus got on a platform. And on his platform on the cross, he demonstrated just how much he loved the world, how much he loved you, and how much he loved me, our stone hearts and all. We read in 1 Peter 2, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And when Jesus got on his platform, he didn't shout words of hate or shame or judgment. Of all people across all of time, wouldn't he have been justified to do so? but no such words came from his mouth. He wasn't screaming inside of his heart words of anger. He wasn't spewing out loud words of judgment. Instead, he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. He spoke words of grace. And then he said three words that changed everything from that point on. He said, it is finished. In that one act of grace, he paid the price for our sin and for our brokenness. It was finished once and for all. By his wounds, 
we were healed. And while the price was paid once and for all, he knew that we would return to the comfort of our stone hearts often. We're human, and when life is messy, our jobs are hard, people are difficult, our kids are exhausting. Everywhere we turn, we seem to see people shouting, and then 2020, and so many opinions. He knew with all of that, we would climb back up on our platforms, made of stone, over and over again. And we aren't the first people to repeat this cycle of allowing our hearts to be hard. It's easy because this world has been broken and we see it on the pages of scripture over and over again. We see a pattern of hearts becoming hard when life gets hard. If we look at the book of Hebrews, which was written to the early church, there's a phrase that's repeated three times in chapters three and four. Hebrews 3, 7, it says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Hebrews 3, 15, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Hebrews 4, 7, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And in this passage, the writer of Hebrews was quoting these words out of the Old Testament that were originally spoken to the Israelites generations before. Generations of hard hearts from the Israelites to the early church to us today. Generations needing the reminder that we don't have to stay that way. So after telling them three times in the book of Hebrews in those two chapters not to harden their hearts, this is how Hebrews 4 ends. This is the very last verse of that chapter. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We see it again in this passage, God's throne of grace, his platform of grace. And we can approach it, it says, with confidence, not because we've polished our hearts of stone to be shiny and presentable. Our confidence is not in ourselves, but in the one that we're approaching and when we approach his platform of grace, we get something we don't deserve. We get something we can't do on our own, a new heart. And with new hearts that are soft, we can step down from our hard heart platforms and stop shouting. And we can start sharing the hope of Jesus. We live in a world that needs to know that there is hope. But how can they hear us if we're screaming at them from our platforms? And why would they listen if we're throwing our hearts of stone at them with softened hearts? We can love people like Jesus did, the ones we work with, the ones we live with, the ones we interact with on social media, the ones we agree with, as well as the ones we disagree with. As Jesus said, the sinners and the tax collectors. Or maybe today we would say the sinners and the vaxxers, the sinners and the anti-vaxxers, the sinners and the Republicans, the sinners and the Democrats. Because either way you slice it, whatever word you put after that, we are all sinners in need of a savior in need of a mercy that we didn't earn, 
in need of a grace that we don't deserve. And we don't need to build ourselves a platform to share that hope with the world. We don't need to scream at people inside of our hearts. We only need to walk with them to the throne of grace. And we can go before the throne of grace over and over again. Every time we feel the heaviness of a hard heart, because that call to guard our hearts, it's important. And it doesn't mean we guard them by polishing them or trying to soften them on our own. I think it means being aware of when our hearts feel heavy, being aware of how we're talking to others, not just with the words we're saying out loud, but with the ones we're screaming inside of our hearts as well. And then when we recognize that our words and our hearts are like stone, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. Confident that he can do what we cannot do for ourselves. Replace our hearts of stone. As we close today, I wanna read to you just a few more of the words that Spurgeon said all of those years ago. This is, this is what he said, and this is how I wanna close today. The fall of man was utter and entire. But if a man's heart were rotten, how could that be cured? But while such a thing would be impossible apart from God, it is certain that God can do it. Oh, how the master delights to undertake impossibilities. He delights to undertake strange things, to bring light out of darkness, to bring order out of confusion, to work marvels of grace and mercy and wisdom and peace. These, I say, God delights to do. And so, while the thing is impossible to us, it is possible to him. According to the word of God, man's heart is by nature like a stone. But God, through his grace, removes the stony heart and gives us a heart of flesh. It is this prodigy of love, this miracle of grace. Let me pray for us. God, I am so grateful for the truth of your words. I'm grateful as hard as it is for a recognition of my own heart. I'm thankful to see it for what it really is. I'm thankful to be reminded that left on my own, I am gonna have a heart of stone that is ugly towards people. But God, when you shed your light into it, you can do what I can't do on my own. Thank you for loving us enough to pay the price for these hearts of stone. And thank you for the grace that allows us to approach your throne of grace over and over again with confidence. Confident that every single time we come, that we will be met with a mercy we didn't deserve and a grace we didn't earn. And so God, would you allow us to see our hearts for what they really are? Would you allow us to be aware of the heaviness that comes with the weight of this world? Would you help us check the weight of the heart that we're carrying around? Would you help us be aware of the words that we're saying, not out loud, but inside to people who see things differently than we do, who believe things differently than we do? 
would you help us step down off of our platforms and come before you humbly? Thank you for who you are. Thank you that you love us right where we are. I'm so grateful that in the middle of a really hard world, that our hearts don't have to stay that way. Thank you, God, for that truth today. It's in your name that I pray. Amen.